0: What a great problem to have, huh? (laughs) Yeah, we praise God for just how many people have come out this evening to worship. Our text for tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at chapter 11, the first four verses. I, will that be on the screen? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to be reading from the ESV just because that's what I grabbed off the shelf. So It might differ slightly from what I assume would be the NIV. Sorry, Luke. 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves Forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. We mostly know Matthew's version, so you will have already noticed some differences. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But from these verses, let's consider together the following thought. The Lord's Prayer helps us rightly order our lives as we look forward to the fullness of God's kingdom. Or if I can put it differently, this prayer helps us get our priorities right while we wait in the wilderness for God to bring us the inheritance that he has promised to give us. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you have not let us go our own way that even when we were handed over, you, Lord Jesus, came to die, to rise and to return to the Father all for us. As we tonight consider this prayer, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we might be transformed and hallow your name. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. The passage that we read shows us very briefly Jesus praying and apparently his disciples are watching. Jesus here is a model of the importance of prayer. The son of God himself takes time to pray to his father. We don't have time to develop this point much further tonight. But what the disciples saw Jesus doing then is exactly what Jesus continues to do now as he sits at his Father's right hand, interceding for us. The disciples, though, are watching Jesus. We have a hint of this, based on the fact that one of them comes to Jesus and says, I want to do what you're doing. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples are watching Jesus and seeking to model him. And Jesus doesn't bat them away. Jesus doesn't say, what a foolish question. You ought to know how to pray. Nor does he say, just say whatever comes to mind. He actually gives them a prayer. A prayer that his followers have been praying for now 2,000 years since he was present with his people on this earth. The prayer begins with an address to God as Father. It begins by helping us rightly understand who God is. Obviously, this is not all of who or what God is. But Jesus encourages his disciples And Jesus encourages us to call the creator God, Father. This is good news. Fathers can be difficult figures. All of us know this, either personally or from friends or other families that we know about but we have a father who loves us a father who is not interested in asserting his own authority for its own sake a father who is not tangled up in pride and selfishness a father who is not going to abuse his children We have God as our father. Our priorities have shifted already. God is the one whom we are privileged through Jesus to address as our father. But that doesn't just teach us something about God. It also teaches us something about us. Because if we address God as father, then that means we are his children. Daughters and sons of the living God. And Jesus, the son of God, is our brother. All of that is implied when we address God as our father. And that's only just getting into the prayer. (laughs) Let's then take the rest of our time and consider the five petitions that make up this version of the Lord's prayer. The first two requests that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray are actually very closely connected. In fact, All five of them are connected, but the first two in particular are tightly interwoven. We should notice that these first two focus us squarely on God. The last three ask God for something for us, but the first two are us praying to the Father, asking God for something that is relevant to Himself. Again, our priorities are shifting. The Lord's Prayer begins not by us focusing on what we want or need, although that's going to be part of this. It begins by us asking God to make his name holy, to hallow or sanctify his name. And it begins by asking God to bring his kingdom. the very first petition here that God's name would be made holy or hallowed or sanctified is a request that Jesus tells us to ask the Father that his name might be reverenced and set apart, different than every other name. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this part of the Lord's Prayer. But it's a bit odd. Why are we supposed to tell God to make his own name holy? What's going on here? This is going to be strange to us. What sense does it possibly make to pray to the Father that he should reverence, make sure that his name is reverenced? In order to understand this, we need to think for a little bit about some key texts in the Old Testament. This entire prayer is suffused with ideas coming right out of the Old Testament. And as is so often the case, we cannot understand what the New Testament is saying without soaking in the Old Testament. And this is a perfect example of this dynamic. God's act of bringing his people out of exile or indeed before the exile, if we think about that Old Testament history, God's act of bringing his people out of Egypt and establishing his rule over his special chosen people in the land that he promised to give them is one of the ways in which God Sanctifies his name. One of the ways in which God hallows or makes holy his name is by redeeming a people out of slavery. We could trace this straight through the big story of the Old Testament, but we're just going to look together at a couple of key texts. Just listen to some passages from the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 41, God says the following through the prophet to his people, As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you. When I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified among you in the sight of the nations. Did you catch what's going on here? God's name is sanctified when he acts on behalf of his people to bring them out of their slavery. By redeeming his people, God is hallowing his name. Listen to to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I am sanctified among you before their eyes. There it is again. God is going to hollow or sanctify his name by bringing his people out of the nations into which they have been scattered. This dynamic is picking up on the Exodus story when God acted to save his people by bringing them out of their slavery in Egypt. That is God hallowing his name. To talk about God's name being sanctified is a way of talking about the time when God would release his people from their bondage and gather them into the land that he always promised to give them. And this, this dynamic of redeeming a people and bringing them into their inheritance is exactly why the very next petition in this prayer is that God would bring his kingdom. According to Luke, actually, right through the Gospel of Luke and the other book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts, right through these two texts, the proclamation of God's coming kingdom is actually at the very center of the gospel that Jesus preached. That's interesting to think about for a moment. How often have we preached the gospel as the kingdom of God is coming? I don't want to be overly critical (laughs) because to understand the kingdom of God and the fact that it is coming, we first have to recognize that God hallows his name by redeeming people out of slavery. And clearly, one of the key points of the gospel is that Jesus has defeated the great enslaver, the devil himself, and redeemed us out of our enslavement to the fear and power of death. So when we proclaim that our sins are forgiven through Jesus, and we are no longer enslaved to the prince and the principalities and powers of this world, we are proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. But we don't often say it that way. And that's kind of interesting, because actually, if we look at a text like Luke chapter 4, verse 43, again, just to select one verse from several in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is refusing to stay in the town or region of Capernaum. People want him to stay because he's been doing amazing things and teaching them as one who has authority. But Jesus refuses to stay with them. It's also another interesting point, but for another time. The reason Jesus doesn't stay with them, he says, is as follows. Quote, I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to other towns just as well as here. For I was sent for this very purpose. Why was Jesus sent? to preach the coming kingdom of God. The Lord's Prayer takes us right to the heart of the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching us to pray for. That God's name would be hallowed. That he would redeem a people from the midst of their enslavement. And bring them out into the light and freedom of his kingdom. That he would give them the inheritance that he has promised to his people. Again, if you're thinking about those big Old Testament stories, you are hearing the Exodus when God redeemed the people out of Egypt. And brought them into the wilderness in order to take them into an inheritance where he was to be their God and they to be his people. In other words, he was supposed to be their king. It's the kingdom of God. And that story gets recapitulated, repeated in a certain way when the people break the covenant and find themselves again scattered and enslaved in foreign nations. And the hope that we saw in Ezekiel, for example, is precisely that God will sanctify or hallow his own name by bringing the people back out of that slavery and bringing them back into their land and being their king. The kingdom of God is the great hope Of God's people. It is the great hope of the people of Israel as they were brought out of Egypt. It is the great hope of both Israel and Judah as they are brought out of their exile. And it is the great hope that the people were continuing to look for when Jesus showed up. Not just to break the power of Rome in a certain way but ultimately to break the power of sin itself. God's sanctification of his own name, the very thing that the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, is in Scripture associated with the time in which God will establish his eternal kingdom among his people. And in some sense that has already begun. Jesus is seated, not just on any old chair at the right hand of the father. Jesus is seated on a throne. The angel Gabriel, to pick up another point from Luke's gospel, where the kingdom is so central. Tells Mary that she will bear a son who shall be called Jesus, and then says about Jesus, quote, he will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end that's the gospel and that's what the lord pra- the lord's prayer is teaching us to long for getting our priorities right renewing our desires so that what we seek more than anything else, first and foremost, is the kingdom of God. Now is the time. Now is the time when Jesus is already reigning and salvation is offered. God's name is being hallowed. We are here. The name of God is hallowed because we can each give testimony to the ways in which the powers have been broken in our lives. I didn't say we're perfect, we continue to wait for our Lord to return to us and bring with him the salvation that we have been promised. But already, God's name is being hallowed. And already, the power of the kingdom is at work. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, our priorities are being reset. Not simply because we are focusing on God first, not simply because we are recognizing that he is the one and true father, but also because we are asking God to make good on his promises, to restore and renew this fallen world. That is why we pray, hallowed be your name. But then the prayer shifts. It shifts into some petitions that deal with the very things that we need in our day-to-day life. Even here, however, Jesus has not left behind the idea of being led out of slavery. When the people were brought out of Egypt in the Exodus, where did they go? They went into the wilderness. They did not immediately go into the kingdom. The inheritance was something for which they were still hoping and looking forward to. And that is exactly where scripture locates us. We are waiting in the wilderness We have been set free, but we have not fully entered the kingdom of God. And that is exactly what the next few petitions are addressing. What did God provide for his people on a day-to-day basis while they waited in the wilderness? manna the daily bread give us this day our daily bread this is not just a prayer for sustenance though it absolutely is that and it once again is a prayer for sustenance that recognizes the true source from which sustenance comes But in addition to that, it is a reminder of the manna that God provided for his people in the wilderness. Do you see the pattern? Exactly after God begins to hallow his name by bringing his people out of their slavery, they find themselves in a situation where they need daily bread. And God provides. God takes care of his people while we wait for the kingdom. Give us this day our manna. We should perhaps stop the sermon now and partake of the table for truly the bread of heaven is present with us right now And we get to partake. But we'll return to that (laughs) celebration. Forgive us our sins. The next petition. The forgiveness of sins is the one petition that comes with a kind of qualification to it. The Matthian version, as we forgive those who sin against us. Luke says, we are forgiving those who sin against us. Well, hallelujah. (laughs) We are forgiving those who sin against us. As we were reminded even this morning, all of us, every single one of us was enslaved. Every single one of us is a sinner. And every single one of us needs forgiveness. And we need to forgive each other. That's the way the community in the wilderness is going to survive. But think again of the wilderness, because what's given to the people in the wilderness? The tabernacle. The priesthood and the sacrifices. Now these things do a lot more than just forgiveness. But one of the main reasons for sacrifice was to allow the people in the wilderness to receive ongoing forgiveness when they messed up. And here it is. Not only do we pray for the manna, but we pray for forgiveness even as we forgive each other and now we have a great high priest and we have a sacrifice who is with the father interceding on our behalf we have forgiveness so much better And so much more full and perfect than the people had in the wilderness before they entered Canaan. And finally, we have a petition for protection from times of most translations will read temptation. Perfectly fine. The word could also be translated testing. What happened to the word in the wilderness (coughs) when Satan approached? The word Jesus in the wilderness was tested. What happened to the people of Israel repeatedly during their time in the wilderness? They were tested. The amazing thing about that Old Testament story is not that the people were tested. But that God continued to hallow his name. And in a sense, that's one another reason why this prayer is so important. We need God to want to hallow his name. Because I can tell you right now, I will not be able to hallow his name. I need God to hallow his name. But this last petition continues to put our minds in the wilderness. While we wait for the kingdom to come, we are reminded to pray that God would spare us From temptation and testing, that God would fully and finally sanctify his name and bring about his kingdom. But sometimes, sometimes, sisters and brothers, we get tested. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm no better than the people of Israel in the wilderness, falling down. Here's the gospel. God is hallowing his name in you. And the kingdom is coming. The Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer for God to put this fallen world to rights, for God to sanctify his name and bring his kingdom. It's a prayer that helps us rightly order our priorities in the midst of the testing, in the midst of the temptation that comes around time and time again. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that God's holiness and God's kingdom are the most important things. And our prayer is the only prayer possible. God, do it. We can't, but he can, and he does, and he will. While we wait for the kingdom to fully come, we pray to our Father for sustenance, for forgiveness and for protection from testing because the kingdom is coming.